Yeah, no worries. Um, again, thank you everyone for being here. It's lovely to share this space with you um, and to have an opportunity to reflect and share. Um, at, for those of you who weren't here when we started meditation, my name is Sagan Johnson and I am currently a graduate student at the Boston University School of Theology and I'm a former San Francisco Zen Center resident. It's such a pleasure to be here. And I wanna offer my thanks to Kodo, who is uh, just beginning the practice period at Tatahara, as she so. Uh, thanks to him for the invitation to be here with you all tonight. Um, I wanna start by saying Happy New Year <laughs> to everyone. And I, it, I want to say it's just nice to be here at the start of a, a new calendar year. And I want to thank you all for being here, for the gift of your time, your attention, this gift of just being able to be together, to come together and share time. And I also want to say that I'm mindful of the fact that we are still in the midst of a global pandemic and that each of us arrives to this place with our own concerns, our own wants, our own needs. Um, and I can't speak to all of the things that you may be balancing in your life, but I wanna say that you're welcome here in this space with everything that you bring with you and that it is my sincerest wish that you have an experience of care while we are here together. However, you might invite that into your life. And that those unspoken things for which we often don't have words for, I hope that all of those things find a little respite in the nourishment of this shared space together. So I, I think I named the, the talk tonight, uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, Beginning with Ourselves, uh, something like that. <laughs> and I am pretty sure that uh, I think last week when Zach was here was talking about sort of New Year's resolutions and things like that. So I think I'm in unsafe ground to um, invite us to continue uh, some reflection on beginnings. And uh, for me, lately, I've been thinking a lot about beginnings, not just because it's the beginning of a new calendar year, but I think it's also because of the end of a calendar year. And so this sort of natural inclination to think about starting again and starting fresh um, and also leaving some things behind. This type of year, uh, I see the, the sort of reflections of um, these year-end inventories, like the lists of things that are over, um, the reflections on people who have, who have passed away, um, folks who are no longer with us, making resolutions for who we want to be in this new year, uh, things we want to let go of. Um, and it seems to me 
that part of this idea of beginning is sort of taking stock of where we have been and what we have been through. And I'm, I've been sitting with lately this quote from Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and it, the, the book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by Suzuki Roshi. Um, in the prologue, I think, he says something like, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few. I think I'm sitting with this lately because it's, if not troubling me, challenging me to think about what it means to be a beginner and what it means to have some experience. Usually I encounter this teaching about beginner's mind as an offering to encourage me to sort of keep an open mind about my circumstances, um, to not close myself off to possibility as a way of not also being overconfident about what I think I know and really having an open mind and some curiosity about my circumstances and my life, um, who I think I am and holding that with some curiosity and some looseness. And I think we also tend to think about beginner's mind in terms of um, our suffering as encouraging us to, you know, let go that, that our suffering comes from these ideas, these sort of fixed notions that we have of ourselves, of others, the way that our life is supposed to be having these sort of, it should be like this, it should be like that. Um, and I, as I reflect on that more, I think about my early days of practice. And in my early days of practice, when I, it was easy to think of myself as a beginner, <clears throat> I was drinking the Kool-Aid and I think I really liked this teaching. <laughs> I really liked this way of um, finding a freshness in every breath, finding a freshness and a, a newness in every moment, cultivating a gentle way to remind myself that I don't have all the answers, um, that I'm not necessarily needing to find perfection in myself or others around me. And I think I developed a willingness to be questioned, a willingness to uh, reflect on my own sensibilities about what I think is true. And to some extent, I learned to be able to have healthy disagreements, to be willing to meet a new person, a new moment with some sense of wonder. And I, I really liked that. Uh, I liked that uh, I could reframe my suffering as an opportunity for growth, an opportunity for learning and wisdom and, and sort of all of those things that you want to be able to associate with beginnings, right? Um, the start of, of something new. And over the years of practice and just living in general, I continue to look to this teaching about beginner's mind for some insight about um, 
cultivating wisdom and experience. And I think this is partly because I have found myself often at the start of something new. Um, right now, it's a new calendar year. It's a new semester at school. Uh, there are new jobs that come into my life, new relationships, new living spaces. There's sort of often always something new. And I think I thought of beginning as new. And there's a time when I thought of beginning as these kind of like fixed points. There's a beginning, there's an end. If I want to change something about myself, I'm letting stuff go and I'm allowing myself this space to um, maybe not go towards something specific, but just to change, right? And I, so there were times when I think I really leaned into that as a space for possibility. And right now, I want to, um, I, I think I want to shift some of that thought for myself and I want to invite us to consider um, maybe reframing what we think of as beginning instead of it being a moment or something that we initiate. I'm starting to see beginning not so much as a starting point. It's neither the opposite of expert mind, right? I'm not so interested in being afraid of knowing, which is how I think I thought I received the teaching of beginner's mind, that I needed to be skeptical of knowing. And I'm trying to find some space to consider what the benefit of experience is. The stillness that I've cultivated in Zazen supports this idea of letting go. But I also think it, it supports this idea of knowing, that knowing is okay, that it's okay to have a sense of awareness, that that awareness is a kind of knowledge. Holding on to it, being fixed to it is, it's certainly something that we want to um, be careful of. But I want to know if there's a way to think of beginning as incorporating and including knowing and not knowing, the knowing and not knowing at the same time. So as I think about leaving pieces of myself in 2021, there are pieces of myself that I want to bring with me. And how can I be okay with seeing something as new and fresh and also being okay with my experience? If what the Buddha taught is that we live our lives and that in the living is an experience of and a manifestation of our most genuine selves, then the sitting that we cultivate isn't a beginning necessarily. There's knowledge in our bones. There's knowledge in our blood. There's wisdom that already is in us. That's already there. And that is knowing. And it's okay, I think, to know. 
And how do I, I'm interested in thinking of the knowing as also a place of departure, right? How do I take stock of what it is that I know and use that as useful and valuable information for moving through the unknown, right? For, for being the thing that grounds us, right? So what, what am I grounded by? And being aware of that grounding for me is itself beginning. One of the, I've, I've been thinking a lot lately about, I don't, I wanna introduce um, some words from Bell Hooks, who is, uh, she passed away on December 15th. Bell Hooks is a, a scholar and writer, Buddhist practitioner, And one of the things that I recently read, I've been rereading over and over, is she has an essay called Theory as Liberatory Practice. And the essay begins with this following paragraph. She writes, <clears throat> I came to theory because I was hurting. The pain within me was so intense that I could not go on living. I came to theory desperate, wanting to comprehend, to grasp what was happening around and within me. I saw in theory then a location for healing. Theory is not inherently healing, liberatory, or revolutionary. It fulfills this function only when we ask that it do so and direct our theory, theorizing toward this end. We know things with our lives and we live that knowledge beyond what any theory has yet theorized. And she concludes, in the beginning of this theory lies the hope of our liberation. In the production of this theory lies the, the hope of our liberation, the possibility of naming all of our pain and making all of our hurt go away. As I sit with this idea that her starting point was hurting, her starting point was pain. I also think that what she's naming here is a way that we can be in relationship with ourselves as a location for healing and liberation, and that it is in our knowing and sharing this knowledge that we find collective healing. Knowing is where we understand and develop our capacity to respond. So for me lately, beginning is an intersection of both aspiration and knowledge. It's an intersection of hope and experience. And when I, when I came to practice, <laughs> I, I was one of those people who appreciated the lists, you know, the four noble truths, the eight noble paths, you know, so I appreciated this way of sort of having ways to, uh, having tools, a, a variety of tools in my toolbox that I could sort of play with. Um, and 
when I think about how I can frame myself, my life as itself a beginning, what does it mean to be in the space where I can use what came before, be in this present moment and allow for that future to unfold in relationship to my past and my present, right? How do I keep what's useful? How do I think of watering the seeds in myself as, as keeping something without holding on to it and allowing it to flourish and grow and show me something? And I think that for me, one way to do this is to consider my relationship to practice, consider my relationship to the Noble Eightfold Path as a real constructive space where I'm realizing that we don't start from zero. Uh, there's no sort of reset button, um, but there are moments when we can find liberation by being aware of what we already know and also having some curiosity and some openness to what we don't know. There's this combination of both. And I used to think of the Eightfold Path as sort of these ideas, and I'll run through the pieces of the Eightfold Path are right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, right resolve, and right view. When I consider these together, I like to think of them as the components of beginning. Um, this, these, this path is how I begin every moment, every, every moment of my life becomes its own beginning as I'm on this path. And sometimes we truncate the Eightfold Path in sort of like these three divisions. So we think of more like virtue as right speed, right action, right livelihood. And then we think of right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration as meditation. And then we think of resolve and view as wisdom. So on this path, all the time, we have access to our virtue, our best intentions, our, our best ways of, of thinking about how we want to be in the world, of speaking what we want in the world, and of our labor, our livelihood, the activity of our lives um, as, as a part of the virtue, right? And then we can think of meditation, effort, mindfulness, concentration, building this capacity is also always there. It's never we start it, we finish it. It's never we're complete. And then in our wisdom, our resolve, our right view, that wisdom piece for me is, is becoming more and more important when I think about beginnings, actually, when I think about the things I wanna keep, 
when I think about what I've harvested, right? In the, in the moments of harvest, usually I think of harvest as like the time of year when we reap. So this past fall, uh, and I think seasonally, like, oh, where are we in like the seasons? And this is this time for going deep within, um, for gathering our energy. Um, but I also think that harvest in the same way that I'm trying to think of beginning is this sort of constant activity. There's ways in which we are seeding things for our lives. We are watering seeds that we've planted in our lives and we are harvesting and reaping the benefit of the seeding and the watering that we've already done. This is always happening. And so in that way, I'm trying to, to really allow for the wisdom of my life to manifest as a part of my beginnings, as a part of the ways that I can see this moment fresh. I don't have to throw out what I knew about myself I don't have to completely start from scratch. I don't have to lean into the negative self-speak that I may have. Instead, I can say, I don't necessarily just want to change who I was. I don't necessarily want to stop myself from being something that I don't like. As much as I might want to have some space for easing my suffering and the suffering other people, the suffering of other people. It's also really, really important for me to remember the gifts that I have, the things inside me that are contributing to my capacity to be fresh, to be open-minded. Those things are there and they are just as important as the new things, the new skills, the new lessons, the, the things that I'm going to learn, the things that I don't know. And if I do that, if I start with me, if I begin with me as the activity of beginning, as living, being the beginning, right? then that means there's also space for the people around me to do the same. So as, as Bell Hooks was sort of saying, the hope of our liberation, the production of naming our suffering, I think also means naming our gifts, naming our strengths, naming our wisdom. That's just as important and if we name that, then we name not only our pain, but we name those things that support us to respond to that pain. If I can name that for myself, and if there's space for you to name that for yourself, then that's also how we make all of our hurt go away. We don't just make our hurt go away by naming the suffering. I think. Um, because the suffering is never just one thing either. So as much as there's not a beginning to me changing, 
there's not a beginning to the suffering. Uh, one of the chants we recite is that sort of all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless. That spirit lets us know that we are in midstream, we're in situ, we're in it already. Our lives consist of the karma of other people, the karma of situations, and the karma of just what we don't know. There's so much that we don't know that I think it's impossible for us to really claim a beginning, a beginning that started from nothing. That's not possible. We're in it already. But part of that beginning is inclusive of everything, all phenomena. And it's important to remember that so that our beginnings don't have to take on the flavor of um, just getting over, just getting by. Um, of needing an ending, of needing for something to stop so that we can begin, right? I think if we can think of ourselves as beginnings all the time, then we don't ever have to just say, I need for that to go away. And our capacity to be with whatever's happening flourishes. Our capacity to not need it to just stop Right? We can understand that it's never going to just stop. And part of the reason I think this is really important is because not just in our individual lives, but in the world around us, as we are trying to figure out how to be good citizens of the world, as we're trying to figure out how to respond to the suffering that exists out there, um, I think we have to just really be able to find ourselves grounded and to know what that grounding is. And the only way to do that is to not have to feel like we have to burn it all down to the ground, <laughs> right? Sometimes you do. Sometimes you put the flour and the sugar and the salt and <laughs> it's like you did too much of one thing. And you're just like, no, this is, this is not going to rise. Um, and sometimes you can add a little something to it, right? Sometimes it's a sprinkle of this, it's a sprinkle of that. So I think it's unhelpful to frame beginning as this place of no knowledge at all, this place where nothing came before. I think it's, unhelpful to think of a beginning as uh, that sort of clean slate, right? Sometimes that's useful for sure, but I don't think we have to think of our lives that way. I think if I can frame my life as always beginning, then that means that I have some freedom and some spaciousness to reconsider, but the reconsidering 
takes into consideration that which has already happened, right? I don't have to forget. I don't have to let it go. It's useful information. Um, and also, most importantly, going back to, I think, how I started, is the sense that I can know something about myself and that that is fundamentally okay, especially if what I know about myself is that I'm doing my best, that I'm trying to be a beginning, that I'm trying to not hold on to something because I'm afraid, because I'm not trying to lean into my anger, my frustration, my sadness, all of those things that if I water them, my best self doesn't come to fruition. Rather, I can think of the substance of my life as useful all the time. I don't have to, I don't have to stop it. Um, and I just, I wanna offer some, before I end, uh, a little way that I've been thinking about this personally. Um, I have asthma. <laughs> Uh, and when I first uh, started practicing at Zen Center, there were still burning incense in most of the temples. And I discovered, I learned that I had asthma because my doctor, I went to a, a, a doctor's appointment and she said to me, um, I didn't believe that I had asthma. So first of all, I didn't think it was real. Um, and I went to an appointment with my immunologist and she says to me, uh, you're in the midst of an asthma attack right now, and you don't know it. And she said, have you ever blacked out? Have you ever, you know, fainted while riding your bike or anything like that? And I said, no, I don't think so. And she says, yes, this is concerning because as you sit here, you can't breathe and you don't know it. And I thought, okay, that's useful information, right? Uh, when I moved into Zen Center, there are ways that I, I didn't know how this experience was going to impact my ability to live in the temple. So I used what I knew, right? I knew that I had asthma and I tried to communicate that to the people around me and tried to make some decisions around how I could be in this space, right? Um, so I went to Tassajara for my first practice period and I legitimately nearly died. I've never been so close to my suffering as my first practice period at Tassajara in this place where I was in a valley um, around people with whom I did not have a great deal of familiarity. And I was experiencing a kind of suffering that was new for me. And yet I knew that I had asthma. Right. So it was a, an experience of learning and growing that I thought of as a beginning. This is my first practice period at Tassajara. This is my first time doing all of these things. I thought of that as a beginning. And then I left, I went back to city center. The community started to make some changes, right? We grew and learned together about what it was like to have someone in the temple who needed some accommodations that would impact how we did things, what we did together. 
And then, of course, several years later, I decided to go back to Tassajara, because why not? Um, and I thought that was a beginning again. And I went to doctors. I talked to the practice committee. I went armed with medication and information. And then my, my immunologist said to me, this is one of the best things that you can do for yourself in going back to this place that nearly took your life because your practice is to observe. So you can live in this place instead of saying, questioning whether you should go, instead of questioning whether it's the right decision to be there, go armed with the knowledge that you have and then learn once you get there. Be there in this space and take in the new information about how to care for yourself using what you already know and allow that to help you communicate to the people around you what you need and find out if they have it, if it can be offered to you, if you can ask for it and if it's available. And that will allow you to make some decisions and you'll have to do that every day. It's not something that you will do when you first get there, it's not something that you will do, oh, I'll check in mid-practice period. It's not something that you will assess when you leave the practice period. All she said to me is, this is the best way that you can learn to live with who you are, to trust what you know about yourself, and also be open to what you don't know. And that this is not just happening to you, it's happening to everyone around you. And if you all have the space to take in what you learned the first time you lived there, what you think you know now, the resources that you're bringing to bear, and then using that as a way to continually relate to what, to what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are, you'll all be better for it. And then I thought, oh, okay, this is me learning. This is me right? Getting, getting useful information. All of this seemed like beginnings to me. And then I left the community and I moved to Boston and I traveled to South Africa and I developed a pulmonary embolism. Again, life-threatening. I'm now thousands of miles away from what I think of as home and safety. And this is the fall of 2019. I'm in a hospital. It's December 2019. I'm in a hospital in South Africa. Um, and I can't breathe again, which is familiar and also brand new. And trying to figure out how to get home was in itself a challenge. But at the time, this was the beginning of COVID-19 and the world realizing that we were in the midst of a global pandemic. And I'm still trying to figure out at the time, um, is this new or is this old? And it was both. I had to really realize that my beginning 
thinking of my life as a beginning meant taking into consideration all of the things that I had learned about myself, about how I breathe, about how I care for my body, how I care for my life. And I had to take that information, trust some of it, appreciate some of it, throw some of it out, be afraid to make changes and be willing to make changes. So my beginner's mind couldn't be entirely new in the sense that um, the admonition is the expert knows few things, right? I wasn't necessarily an expert, but I did know some things. I had learned some things and it was really important to keep that knowledge alive, to share it with other people as a way of naming my suffering, but also as a way of naming the, the ways in which I can meet that suffering and giving myself some options for meeting that suffering became just as important. So I offer that in just the space of inviting some opportunity to consider that our beginnings are also inclusive of that which we already know, the newness of our lives, the newness of any undertaking that we have comes with it, its own wisdom, its own awareness, and its own possibilities for the, the most compassionate, nourishing way that we can go about meeting our lives. And that that's available to us in every breath. In every breath, we are our own beginnings. Um, yeah, and that that beginning really does include where we've been. Thank you so much for listening.